you're listening to Four at the Back, and we're off to Euro 2020. Welcome back to Four at the Back, and uh, it might not have escaped you notice that uh, Euro 2020 being played in 2021 is just around the corner, and we're here to do a preview for you with our thoughts about the tournament, about England's chance in the tournament, and lots of other things besides. Um, I thought what we start off with, gents, I'll just put you on the spot, favourite moment at the Euros? I've got Maz and Pete here with me. Uh, oh, God. Um, Teddy Sheringham's pass for Shearer's goal in 96. That's uh, pretty sexy, to be fair. It, uh. it, it's got to be either that or, or Gazza's goal against uh, Scotland. It's oh, got to yeah. be 96, and it's got to be one of those two. I mean, as expected, uh, being a hipster is always Marco Van Basten for me. Just seriously, like watching that goal as an eight-year-old, just took took my interest in football to another level. I would say, do you know what I mean? It was like one of those one of those kind of things that gets seared in your brain, and then you're off down the park trying to hit volleys from stupid angles. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it was filthy. I mean, I've got, I've got a few. It's quite a, you know, what were we eight at the time for that? And you know, I've got a few memories of that tournament, but not not. Not huge amounts, but all, all the memories that do pop up always seem to be surrounding Van Basten or Hullet. The other one was the, the Ray Houghton header as well. I remember that against England. OK, so Euro 2020 obviously didn't get to happen last summer for obvious reasons. It's obviously uh, over the last couple of tournaments we've expanded. Always uh, used to be eight teams then we went to 16 teams and it was, that was a status quo for quite a long time. And now we've massively, massively expanded. So we've now got six groups of four teams. And, you know, the qualifying itself has become incredibly complicated with some places being allocated by position in the Nations League and, and things like that, which is made it probably a lot less of a pure tournament than what it used to be you always used to think the euros although you know it's 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 not got the cachet of the world cup it was usually a better tournament quality wise because you know you had the 16 best teams in europe playing each other and you got some serious sort of uh giants falling in the the group stages for, for that reason i think this does insulate the bigger teams a bit more or so you'd think Perhaps not. Um, so let's go through the groups quickly and then we'll get on and sort of hit some topics of conversation. So we've got Group A, Turkey, Italy, Wales, Switzerland. Group B, Denmark, Finland, Belgium, Russia. Belgium always seems to play Russia, don't they? Group C, Netherlands, Ukraine, Austria, and North Macedonia. Should be fairly straightforward for the Netherlands, that you'd hope. Group D is England's group. England, Croatia. England always play Croatia. It's some sort of strange 
strange thing going on there. Czech Republic and Scotland. Again, England, Scotland, major tournaments, Euro 96 all over again. Uh, Group E, Spain, Sweden, Poland and Slovakia. Um, Group F, Portugal, France, Germany and Hungary. That is, of course, the obligatory group of death. Jesus, fuck it, who did that? Who drew that? <laughs> you were going through it, and I'm like, this is a pretty weak tournament. You know, there's not really much in this. And then you're like, right, they're all in Group F. That's why. So essentially, <laughs> Germany's poor recent results, you know, crashing out of the group stage at the World Cup and then doing pretty poorly in the Nations League, basically meant that they kind of ended up being seeded lower than they would have otherwise been. Because obviously Portugal, Euros holders... France World Cup holders, so I guess that's how that's happened. Yeah, so that's certainly the the group that you didn't want to be drawn in. Um, let's start with England's group then. So obviously, England go into the tournament with probably their most exciting squad since '98. Is that fair? It's fine, exciting. Well, not uh, as, not as personalities, obviously, in terms of the talent. Yeah, if, no. in terms of a certain in terms of a certain t- type of talent, then I could see the case. What I think you have to balance it against is that when they went to 2006, you had a bunch of players playing in the best teams in Europe at the time, and there was a lot more reason for optimism looking at that then in 2006. But in many ways, this is a more likable outfit, and there's more verve and more attacking talent going forwards in this outfit so from that perspective maybe maybe yes I, I, I suppose it depends on how you want to look at it you know I look at it like this you know no one expected anything at the World Cup from us and we got to the semi-finals yeah albeit with pretty much the luck of the draw it would have been it would have been hard not to get to the semi-finals but you know it was a squad that nothing was expected and We've moved forward. We've got a few more exciting young talents that have added to that. And it's given some hope, you know, it's that there's some overhype about our chances, I think, definitely in there. But there always is, isn't there? There's there's always two ends of the spectrum that are very loud when when we're going into the World Cup and both of the a big tournament. And they're usually about as insane as as the other whoever we're you think we're going to crash out without a point or win the whole thing but you know that that's all part of being an England fan isn't it and I like it you know it's I don't think you can say it's been a great couple of years since since getting to the World Cup semis but it's not been a bad couple of years and like I say we've got some good young talent coming through now and Gotta be hopeful, you know. You gotta think we can we can do something in this tournament for sure. I think obviously attacking wise, got after Lewandowski the best out and out nine in Europe in Kane, and not only that, he's probably one of the better tens in Europe at the same time. You know, you have a, an incredible array of wide forwards slash you know wide midfielders in Sterling, Rashford, Sancho. Greedish, if you count him as a as a kind of forward player rather than a midfielder, not to mention Calvert Lewin, a, a good backup for Kane, got Mel in between the lines. Uh, so in terms of like the talent going forward, England are as well stocked as as anybody, even if Rashford and Sterling have, have been out of form lately. 
you know, I think what worries you about the squad is that there are only two good centre halves. If I if Maguire can't play, that's tr- that's big trouble. I mean, and it tells you something that you're relying on Harry Maguire really. Stone's brilliant season, obviously still has a mistake in him. If that first cho- choice partnership can't play, England almost certainly go to a back three, back five, and. Connor Cody, Tyro Mings, I'm not sure if those are international class centre-halves, really. Kyle Walker or, or Reese James playing as a right-side centre-half, yeah, OK. But again, it's sort of, you know, James still a very young player. Kyle Walker, always been prone to lapses. His pace gets him out of a lot of trouble. So that's what would worry you. Also, kind of if Henderson can't play then that midfield then lacks quite a lot of experience. Yeah, so it, it's it's those sorts, it's those areas that, you know, going forward, England are a, a good team in possession and will score goals. What and worries you is the fact that there's lack of depth in midfield and, and at the back, really. Yeah, I mean, you know, you start with the keeper and we we find ourselves once again in, in that situation where, you know, who, who is our best keeper? Who's our number one? Who, I'm actually asking this question and someone that's not really paid much attention to England. Who's our number one? Well, it's not I mean, Pickford, but, but I mean, he's not our best keeper, but he'll play because uh, yeah, Southgate he trusts play. him. Yeah. And he's, on, you know, he's also finished the season fairly well, so it'd be a controversial thing to have stuck with him through the bad times and then drop him when he's in relative form so I don't and he's been given the number one shirt I don't see there being any yeah. controversy about him starting Solskjaer's not done England any favours really because Henderson. you know he, he he put Henderson in as his first choice keeper towards the end of the season he he plays he plays pretty well then he plays De Gea in the pup final which turns out to be a disaster so yeah, strange one, really. If Henson had played the whole season and played well, then you might have seen him supplant Pickford. But no, it's going to be Pickford, and I'm it, sure he's going to make at least one terrible mistake. It, it, and it's a confidence thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, when we had a good goalkeeper, he still made one terrible mistake all the time as well, didn't he? Seaman. <laughs> so when you're an F goalkeeper, you've got no chance, really. And it's often been a big problem, that. But... The issue, obviously, with goalkeepers is always it, it's got to be confidence. You know, you you look at um, Martinez, for example, you know, he got some confidence playing for Arsenal. Suddenly looked like a world beater. It's gone on to Villa, been their player of the season. Whereas, you know, a few little question marks over did we do the right thing? And suddenly Leno's no quite a lot of mistakes this year. And it's like that with goalkeepers, you know. De Gea was the best goalkeeper in the world at one point, or there or thereabouts, and, you know, suddenly he's like, what's happened to him? And, you know, you see it so often, but when you look at a squad and you can't say, oh, I'm not sure any of these guys are are international quality, yet they've got to then provide a level of confidence to a defence that's got some question marks against it as well always asking for trouble that always asking I mean, for trouble i mean it strikes me just we were saying a little while ago you know 2006 we had all these players in midfield and and defense and so many that really good players couldn't get into the side what would we give now to have the likes of a, you know, a jamie carragher who ne- never supplanted 
either of the two starters for England in that run, uh, you know, how good would he look in the middle of yeah. our defence now? That's the thing. The golden generation, what they did have going for them, uh, you know, is actually, and I think we said this before, that Ashley Cole and Gary Neville absolutely did fulfil their potential as, as footballers. And you have to say that Terry and Ferdinand did as well. They always played, you know, that, that back four played well for England over over that period of time. It's kind of um, uh, as cliched as it is, the the balance in midfield and, and a kind of, and I guess a kind of um, after Euro 2004, you never really saw the best of Rooney in a, in a tournament setting. He lit up the qualifiers every time and then he just had disappointing tournament after disappointing tournament. And I mean, obviously flamed out as his hamstrings. Um, so I think England probably, you take the, the front half of England's team now and you'd want the back half of the Golden Generations team. And then you really would have something, something to behold, really. But nevertheless, I think, you know, there's, there's some, some reason for optimism around England. And, and the fact that, you know, there is a large amount of debate over who the best front, front four players for England is going to be, that in itself is huge progress from the World Cup in, you know, 2018. Um mm where you know it, it kind of it was in in no way in doubt who would be starting in those roles really so that that you know the fact that sterling and rashford are not assured of their places i think tells you a lot about the depth they've got sterling in that area in particular you know it, it's it's crazy that you'd think you'd think of not starting him but here we are and you know it's due to not a great season from Raheem and, you know, good seasons by a lot a lot of up-and-coming players. So who do we think is starting then? I think he will start Sterling, actually, because Southgate is very loyal to players that have done well for him in the past. I think it's Rashford that misses out. I would think, well, it depends what system they play, doesn't it? So, you know, England's kind of... Yeah, I guess against a lesser team. So let's say when England do play Scotland, you'd either expect them to go 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3, in which case I think if it's 4-2-3-1, you'd probably be looking at Kane and then behind Kane, you'd have Mount, Foden, Sterling probably, like rotating in and out of each other. I would personally like to see Grealish over Sterling but I'm not sure if Southgate will be that bold yeah I I'd probably I'd think Sterling the experience counts for a lot I don't think he's gonna keep that spot if he doesn't play well but you know I think he'll he'll have it to start with and I think I think Foden's got a got a start and it'll be Kane and if he goes with a three yeah I guess Mount makes the most sense in there as a um, as a third attacking midfielder, if you like, behind Kane, or if it's just a free up top, then yeah, I don't, I don't even know what formations he's playing at the moment. Well, Mel I mean, will play whatever happens. He'll either play as a play three deeper. eight, he'll yeah. play as a three eight in a four three three, or as a as a ten in a in a four two three one. Or if they play, if he plays the five at the back, then it will be more of a five two two one with with mount in alongside rice probably so yeah i think that he plays no matter what but yeah i mean i guess i guess what sterling brings there is more balance with with, with a more pacey player 
yeah in, in yeah. there whereas you know if you've got Grealish you know Grealish and Foden yeah it'll be pretty it'll be pretty but I I just wonder you know with, with how Kane plays I don't know I don't know I mean, I, I mean, see him. I see him going three, regardless. To be honest, at the uh, three centre halves, I, I, I don't know why. I just see him starting that way with Croatia because that's a really tough game first yeah. up, and you and you don't want to go there. Then I don't see him wanting to chop and change, and I don't think there's an easy game in that group. I know that's maybe kind of negativity coming out, but you know, Scotland are not the team that got rinsed for 20 years. That we're coming up against and the Czechs are always a decent outfit I can see us starting with three at the back and get into the second round and be oh yeah there's more of the same and we just kind of carry on and carry on and carry on and yeah so I think that's going to end up being kind of the way we go and safety first will be the watchword and in a sense I wonder if Gareth's been maybe a bit let off with Trent getting this injury because I'm not sure he would have played anyway. I think he may have gone for Reese James, a much more solid option. And uh, yeah, I, 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 maybe I'm just a bit pessimistic. Maybe I'm not giving Southgate enough credit, but I just there's a part of me that doesn't think we're necessarily going to go out to to take the, the game to teams, and that maybe he'll rely on some of these flair players that we've got going forward to try and win him the game in tight ones. Yeah, I don't think Alexander Arnold was going to play. Whatever happens, no, Southgate just doesn't ultimately just doesn't seem to trust them. So, yeah, that, that, that's unfortunate. But, I mean, players, you know, players and systems, that's the thing. It's like sometimes you fit in certain systems and sometimes you don't. And what Klopp does for Liverpool using his fullbacks as playmakers, that's not how Southgate plays. So it is just horses for courses. Uh, yeah, I, I, the Trent thing's a strange one, really. You know, if he... You know, if you're not looking to play him, I don't understand why he bought him in the first place. And, you know, of course, that's a moot point now. However, it, it was strange that he, he'd burn a, a place on it. And he's played him and he's got injured. And it's just a really strange situation for me. I don't I don't quite understand it all. And, yeah, it's a strange one. But, you know, the answer's there now. It's not going to be him. You know, Reese James has, uh, has had a good end to the season and I think that spot's his now for, for the moment anyway. You know, if, if if Trent can get back to full fitness and, you know, back to the form that he was in last year, well, the season before, then, you know, then it becomes a hard decision depending on how, how James progresses. But, yeah, right now I think it, it's it, it's got to be Reese James's spot. On the topic of burning a place, is there anyone that he didn't take that you would have had? War Prowse. I mean, I, I assume maybe War Prowse will come in now that he's got to replace Alexander Arnold with a standby player. I think if you do end up playing any form of, of a 4 3 3 and a high pressing 4 3 3 at that, War Prowse, is, like Henderson, is a player that plays that way at club level. So Henderson's. Yeah, Henderson and, and Ward-Prowse's club systems are high-pressing systems. So if Henderson can't play, then Ward-Prowse is, is, is an ideal guy to get in there. And if you've got a free kick with one minute to go, I mean, who do you want taking it? I'll tell you what, I'm a Spurs fan, and I do not want Harry Kane taking that free kick. Like, <laughs> I, having, having, having watched him belt 30 or more into defensive walls over the past year, I... Do not want Harry Kane to take that free kick. So, you know, so it's it's um, 
I think I think Warprowse is a, a player that really should have been selected, and I hope he will be on now. Is you know on the standby list. Yeah, I wonder if if Southampton's back end of the season forms hurt him there. You know, if he was all guns blazing like 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 they were early on in the season, then you know maybe he becomes a player you you can't leave out. But they they really did fall away, didn't they this year? Yeah, they did. They did. I just think you know England's their midfield. So Rice and Phillips are quite similar players. Mel, we've talked about. You know, he's the yeah. more attacking option. Um, in terms of like a, a proper balanced box to box, a number eight, yeah, yeah, that's what they, that's what they, I mean, they've taken Bellingham obviously in that role. Bellingham, Bellingham can sit as a as a six as well, but but yeah, I I, I really Four. Yeah, I really yeah. do I really do think that um, that War Prowse was, was worth a place. They've taken an awful lot of attackers, and it the squad looks a bit lopsided to me, like. I looked at it and thought, you need an extra midfielder there, surely. And I almost think he took Alexander-Arnold, thinking that he'd play him in midfield, even mm. though Klopp has always insisted that that's not on the cards. So how many midfielders have they actually got? And I think about it, like proper, proper midfielders rather than attacking midfielders. So I guess it's it's Rice, Henderson, Mount and Bellingham. And Phillips. And Phillips, yeah. So the five for three shirts, really, maybe? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's two. It's either so if they play a double pivot, then two. If they play a four-three-three, then it's it's um it's gonna be three, isn't it? But yeah, it's it's a um it's a it's a funny one, I and mean, obviously like that's why everyone's making jokes about four right backs because it just seemed like a a bit of an odd situation that he put himself in. I mean, people, by the way, like forget that Trippier, you know, because Spanish football's not all that easy to watch on on British TV, but Trippier had a tremendous season at Atletico and um, obviously they won the title so he is in in really good form you know he's he's certainly not not the player he was at the the back end of his Spurs tenure you know he has he's he's really kicked on especially defensively as you'd expect working under Simeone so he he won't let anybody down if called upon and also of course oh, I hope they kiss a kiss of death man it's a good uh it's a good <laughs> a good dead ball um, yeah, he, he gets well. Ward Prowse's free kicks, doesn't he? I mean, to be to be fair, Trippier was actually England's best, probably England's best player at the last World Cup as well. <laughs> so, you uh, know. yeah, uh, I think I think that's uh, that's a fair fair comment. Um, all right, so so England, like like we said, their group isn't straightforward. Croatia always match up well against England, as we saw in the the semi final last time. Bit of an aging side, so that a lot of their key players, Modric. Perisic, um, Rakitic, you know, are Mandzukic. They're all on the... Yeah. You know, Is Mandzukic still playing? All the back nines of their careers. Um, you know, they do have uh, some younger, some you know, some good younger players in their primes, like Kramaric playing his football in Germany. But, you know, they are always going to be a good technical side. Regardless of whether they got the stars or not, they're always going to be a very good technical side. And they kind of match up well against England because... They've got a possession-based game as well, and tend to be a bit better at it. Mm. They're going to pass teams to death, aren't they? That's that's really where their skill is going to come in. And if they come up against a team that does that better, they'll be in trouble. But I don't actually see that in this group. So you wonder where the tactics to counter that are going to come from, because um, we certainly didn't have it in 2018. Well, I mean, I, th- I think that's that's where the side has improved. I, I think is that. 
the pressing from the front is much better. Mount does help that actually he's a very adept presser, as obviously are Sterling and Foden playing for Man City have to be it has to be good presses of the ball. Phillips playing for Leeds, obviously they play a man-to-man pressing system. So you'd hope that the chance of getting the ball off them <laughs> are a bit better than they were in 2018. But we, uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Scotland, obviously, I think you can almost... It's one of those games, isn't it? Because it's a derby, you kind of almost... Um, you know, you almost kind of take form and I guess the, uh, the level of of players on either side out of it but you know Scotland have got some good players McGinn Robertson Fleck you know they've got they've got good solid Premier League players in all, there haven't all they? their left backs against our right backs that, that should be fun yeah I mean they do actually play Kieran um, Tierney as a left side of centre half yeah. so Tierney and um, and Robertson both play Robertson's on the same quite a bit so yeah makes sense yeah, absolutely. Uh, McGinn and McGinn plays further forward for Scotland than he usually does for Villa. And when we have seen him get a little bit more attacking in in the Premier League, you've seen that he can do it very well. So yeah, I don't think that's a gimme. As you say, it's it's a derby. It's the game that Scotland will want to win more than any other. And it's it's a sort of a no win situation for England in some senses because. You know what the attitude in England is like? It's that slightly patronising, well, who did you beat? You only beat Scotland thing. Whereas Scotland, it's it's everything. If they, It doesn't really matter if they go out in the first round if they beat England. So, And I hate to be... Like, this sounds slightly patronising, but it's sort of true. So, yeah, um, yeah, I don't think that's a gimme at all. I really don't. And there's some good players in that side. There's players that would be pushing for an England place if they were, if they were English. It's not like that long stretch between 98 and a couple of years ago where you wondered if they were going to get embarrassed in qualifying. This is a very different outfit. And, um, it yeah. is. But on paper, we should still beat them. Yes. You know, we yes. should still beat them. Probably, and that's, yeah. That's where the worry comes from, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, they, they play... Um... But they they basically they play well together as well. Like Scotland are very much a team. Um, you saw that in their playoff. They looked like they were get their hearts broken, and then they managed to to pull it back. Goes to penalties. They win the penalty shootout. Really incredible scenes. Um, I guess what you'd say though about this this Euros is that the idea that that you know. The, the four best third place teams are going to go through, it gives you a degree of protection. So if you get a, you know, a slightly dodgy result against one of these teams, you know, you could be all right. Yeah. Um, There's a shit the bed safety there, isn't there? You know, you look at, I guess, stuff like Spain in the World Cup in 20, I want to say. It was surprised. Uh, 2018, wasn't it? 2018, yeah. Yeah, you know, France in, in 2002, you know, really strong teams that just lose a first game and then just can't come back from it. One bad result, one game where too much pressure's on, and they're gone. They're out of the tournament. So there's a bit more of a safety net to avoid doing that. And, you know, that that will come in handy in the group of death, I think. Certainly, it it would help, and you, you you wouldn't be shocked to see all three three of those big teams actually end up in the in the knockouts. And yeah, you know, it, it does give you that little extra that little extra something to fight for if, if you do have a bad start. Bad start isn't as bad when you've got third place teams that qualify. 
Oh, it's a goal difference. Anyway, goal difference becomes a, um, a a factor there as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so obviously, you know, the Czechs, probably the most recognisable players for uh, English audiences are going to be obviously Suchek, um playing for West Ham. And, uh, you know, again, he's, he's also got his, his, uh, his teammate at West Ham, um, Sufa, wasn't it? Um, they both, both well, play great seasons, haven't they? Um, yeah. So, so they've got a couple of, a couple of decent players, but again, usually a decent technical outfit. So it's by no means an easy group, but you'd, you'd, you'd hope England would make it through, particularly having home advantage, um, for the most part. All right. It's not look. a vintage Czech team, is it? You know, no, I mean, you no, no, not by any stretch of the imagination. There's certainly, certainly no Nedveds in there. There are. <laughs> If you're interested, they're nine to two to make the quarterfinals. The site that I bet with, which puts them as comfortably the third favourites of the group to progress. So, I mean, that shows you. I mean, it looks like it's more about how organised they can be, how much they can frustrate the the Croatians and the English to see if they can get through with maybe one or two of those players that can just you know well, sprinkle a bit of stardust. It's one of those things, you know, conf- confidence of two players who have had a very strong seasons individually in a team that's had a very strong season in the English league that can count sometimes that level of confidence, that level of, right. I know these players, you know, it it can, it can help. Absolutely. And let's move on now then and and talk about, talk about the group of death. Obviously, as we said, those, those teams there, Portugal, France, Germany, and then poor old Hungary hanging on the end there. So let's start with France. Obviously, they are the uh, World Cup holders and on paper have got the strongest squad in the entire tournament. And actually, even if you think about the names they've left out, it's pretty mad. Yeah, I mean, you you'd, you could take out their first choice 11 and they'd probably still be favourites for this, wouldn't they? You know, that that's how strong French players are right now. Yeah, I mean, it's quite ridiculous. I put... Uh, as I was making my little notes before we started here, obviously the reigning world champion, strongest team. The only question mark over the whole thing is that they've, you know, gone back on on their word and they've called up Benzema, and that's the the kind of elephant in the room, I guess, about how uh, they come into this. But it shouldn't matter in the group stage, I wouldn't have thought, even though it is the group of death. So it's quite interesting because the way, you know, despite the fact they've got this wealth of attacking talent, Bappe, Griezmann. Thomas Lamar, um, Benzema, as you say, they've actually got quite a conservative setup. And Deschamps very much, he very much manages as he played. Bunch um, of water carriers. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he likes to play very compact. Kante plays much, much deeper than he does for Chelsea. He's genuinely, you know, right in front of that defence, making it difficult. You're going to have, you know, Varane and Kimpembe in quite a low block. Pavard and, and Hernandez, the, the fullbacks, do push up a bit. But, you know, really Pavard is a centre-half playing right back. And then you'll you'll kind of have Griezmann playing as a 10, usually, uh, and Bappe trying to, trying to run in behind. And then, you know, depending on the system they play, like they'll, they'll sometimes play Giroud as a, as a focal point with Mbappe and Griezmann off him. Now you you have to think that the reason they've called up Benzema isn't just because he's, he's in the form of his life has just had the most ridiculous season at, at Real Madrid, 
but that his intelligence could be the difference in tight games. You know, because if the problem with France has tended to be that if Griezmann isn't on or if Pogba's not on, they don't really function creatively. So that's that is going to be important. Whether they end up starting Benzema, because that's a very settled France team, actually. It hasn't changed a great deal. Uh, So you have to think that um, it will be interesting to see what happens on day one, what their actual starting lineup is going to be. It's a strange one, isn't it? You know, you know, any other country where someone of Benzema's quality has been out for so long and they bring him back in, you wouldn't blink an eye at it. You'd be like, well, obviously. But you look at it and you're like, does he even start? Can he? Can he start? If you've brought him back in, is he gonna? Is he gonna cause issues? You know, you know, you're you're not gonna doubt Benzema's quality. He's an absolutely amazing player and he always has been but like you say right now you know since since um Ronaldo's left to, to Juventus he's he's taken that role at Juve- at, at Real and 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 run with it an insane amount of experience for someone that's been out in the cold for so many years he's got 82 caps for, for France so you know it's insane but you you look at France and their ability just to sometimes totally lose the plot. And you do wonder, is bringing Benzema in going to end up doing that when you've got a squad that's by far and away that looks like the favourites to win this tournament? And you've got players in those positions that are of world class, even even as your backups. It's, I don't know, I, I just... I think Deschamps has a lot more to lose by bringing Benzema back in than he has to win. But, you know, if he can get in the team or, you know, even if he can come off the bench and win them a couple of games, I guess it'll work out. It's a strange one. It's a strange one that you just just think you would have just let it be forever. So what's actually happened there to trigger it, I'd be very interested in. I mean, whether Benzema's actually approached uh, Deschamps or or someone, or, or whether Deschamps made that decision based on purely on, on, on his form for Real. Yeah, on form, you can't ignore him, really. I mean, it, you know, on the problem thing as well, Griezmann has not had a very good time for Barcelona. And although that's not been reflected in his form for France, you know, Griezmann's very much the, the talisman for this French side, actually, much more so, you know, than Mbappe, actually. But what Benzema does and what Griezmann does nominally is kind of similar. So you do wonder if there's a plan there. And, you know, what they did at the World Cup really was they played very compact and they just let Mbappe and Griezmann express themselves at the top of the pitch. Now, whether they can actually do that again or whether they're actually thinking, no, we're going to have to be a bit more expansive this time in order to be able to win. It's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see how they you know, how they actually end up setting up for that first game. Portugal then, again, their squad has got a lot stronger since they did win the Euros in 2016. So although Ronaldo is now quite a bit older, he is obviously still banging in the goals uh, for Juve and uh, shows no signs yet of wanting to slow down in terms of his fanatical devotion to uh, being this finely calibrated athlete. And personal brand, I suppose. 
so they got Ronaldo up top. They got a young genius in in Jao Felix. Bruno uh, Bruno Fernandez obviously has had an unbelievable calendar year, uh, reviving Manchester United almost single-handedly. Off the bench, they can draw on Diogo Jota, who's obviously been brilliant at Liverpool, a, a fantastic signing for them. If he hadn't got injured, you know, what would have happened with Liverpool? You know, they've got Renato Sanchez, a midfield player. They've got Ruben Diaz uh, in defence. You know, it, it's, a, it's a very... The whole Wolves squad. Yeah, <laughs> lots of Wolves players on the bench. Like, yeah, Ruben Neves obviously starts for Portugal as well. It, it's, it's a very... Very good squad. And again, they, they've got good depth in, in, in most areas. So from what I've seen, they're mostly kind of playing, again, a sort of a 4-2-3-1. Fernandes is the 10. Felix coming in off the left, quite often swapping with Ronaldo. Ronaldo will drift wide. Felix will go and fill the space in. So, yeah, they've been very effective recently. They've been in good form. Um, so got, look at this squad, and you know, there's been a lot of talk about Portugal over the years. This is, you know, on paper at least, the strongest Portugal squad I've seen, and I think by quite some distance. When you look at what they've got there, you know, you look at the season Ruben Diaz has had, you look at the the season Fonts had, and Pepe Leo, as well, captaining them. Old man Pepe's still in there doing doing the business in in his home league. You know, you've got uh, Cancelo in there. You've got Guerrero. Fernandez for United has been outstanding. Silva for City. The strength in that Portugal squad is by far and away the biggest, the best and the most depth I've, I've seen from Portugal. You know, they've always had a good few players around the, the squad but you know it's normally filled in with you know the odd journeyman and you know but here it's it, it's across the board you know, they they look really really strong you know I think comfortably comfortably better than they were when they won it last time out on paper of course yeah I mean when they won it that was actually a bit of a rickety old side, wasn't it? And they really kind of, um, yeah, they kind of shithoused their way to that one a little bit, didn't they? But yeah, like this does look like a very, very good outfit, but uh, hopefully not, because I'd like to see Ronaldo cry, ideally. Yeah, I, I, I can never actually want Portugal to win. So, you know, don't get me wrong there. I, I hope I hope they go out in the group stage and Ronaldo cries like a baby. They could be the victims of this weird format played across all the different you know, cities in Europe rather than having one host nation because what could end up being the deciding game for them will be against Germany in Munich, which you know, I don't know how much home advantage is going to tell at this tournament. But given that it usually plays a factor, I'm not ruling it out. And, you know, tight margins, the Germans are an absolute chaos going into it. But we know they usually manage to sort things out when the time comes. And, and there certainly is enough talent in the team. Yeah, so, unless you're Michael Owen, you don't, you don't really want to go and play Germany in Germany, do you? So there, it's, an in, it's, a, it's a very interesting position they're in. Because obviously, again, if you look at the talent on paper, they've got an awful lot of it. And similar to England, multi-talented attacking midfielders... They almost have too many to fit in one place. Uh, they've recalled Thomas Muller um, after Lerv went back on his slightly foolish decision after the last World Cup to uh, to shelve Muller and Hummels uh, simultaneously. They're now they're now both back. So they got 
you know, in those attacking midfield areas, they've got Muller, um, they've got Judy and Brandt, they've got Kai Havertz, they've got uh, Serge Nabry, you know, Leroy Sané, Timo Werner. So they're expected to start Kai Havertz as a false nine with probably Nabry, Sané and Muller just off him. So certainly a lot of pace and a lot of guile there. They obviously lack what they lack is the Miroslav closer. You know, they lack that pure goal scorer. house poacher. Yeah. Um, they know. don't. Because the thing about Nabry and Sané is obviously they're prolific, but like Sterling, they tend to miss a lot of sitters as well. That does kind of mean that they, they could in a tight moment, you know, do with a pure finisher maybe. Um, you want never, a nine, don't you? You always want a nine of some sort, e- even in modern football. You know, if, even if you're not starting him. And obviously, the closest they've got to that really at the moment is Werner, and Werner has not had the best season. And again, you know, likes to to drift out into wide areas more than purely playing through the centre. Um, they've also got bad weaknesses at fullback. Their fullbacks are not very good. It's probably going to be Halstenberg on the left. No one's, you know, really sure who's going to play on the right at the moment. It might end up being a centre half that gets pushed, pushed out to the right. Obviously, goalkeeping very strong. Neuer, if Neuer gets injured, they got to Stegen, you know, so they they're, they're very well, well, you know, well stocked for goalkeepers. They probably got, I mean, the idea that to Stegen is on the bench is is just completely crazy. Any other team would <laughs> would be starting him, but obviously Neuer is is still brilliant even at his advanced age got to pass 100 caps at some point in the tournament if they get out the group did i read he must yeah must be must yeah. be getting there yeah absolutely. which must must make him the most capped german goalkeeper of all time i don't Khan. how long did Khan go on for i guess the back end of khan's career he he got um i guess he got replaced by layman layman yeah I was actually thinking if it was going to be anybody that he'd have to pass, it would be way back. It'd be Sepp Meyer, but so I'm just looking, just looking at something now. I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing like during the recording research. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How, how long did Wait, Bodo Ilner play? He felt like he was in there for ages, but that's probably because I was younger at the time. Yeah. I mean, while Neil does that, I mean, I'm just thinking naturally that. If the midfield gets going with Germany, then, you know, other teams could be in trouble because there is a lot of talent in the centre of the park there with, you know, Cruz and Gundogan and so on. There's, you know, they're not um, slouches by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, well, yeah, Kimmich is probably, uh, you know, on on current form is one of the best sixes in the whole of Europe. And obviously, like Philip Lahm, can play literally anywhere, but he's found this kind of calling as a, defensive midfield player but he can get forward he's got a, a, a long shot on him as well going to one's had an unbelievable season might end up being Kroos that misses out but then again Lerv trusts him implicitly so yeah, it's you know it's probably between Kroos and Gundogan to sit there with Kimmich and uh the the sort of the two and then yeah it's sort of a, probably going to be like we say Muller in the 10 role in front of that so yeah they they've got some holes um, they're not very good defensively. Um, Hummels is still a great organiser at the back, but obviously he, he lacks pace at his age now. Nicholas Sula's been out injured for a long time. No guarantee that he's going to that he's going to start. So yeah, it's it. They, I mean, 
what I was looking at earlier on today, it looks like they're thinking of playing a converted Emre Chan at centre-half, um, which is where he's been playing for Dortmund this season, um, which obviously has its benefits in terms of playing out from the back, but ultimately he's a converted midfield player, so he's going to he's gonna make some mistakes. So Germany's problem in the Nations League has been that they have shipped goals most prominently in, against against Spain. So, yeah, it's it's been a chaotic four years for them, really. Bad performance at the 2018 World Cup. Love cutting the veterans and trying to forge this exciting new team. Getting it quite badly wrong and having to retread a lot of his decisions. Announcing this is going to be his last tournament. His old assistant, Hansi Flick, who's gone on and dominated the world by Munich, is going to come in as, as manager straight after this tournament. So it's... Then again, would you bet against Love having his Bobby Robson moment and sticking two fingers up to the press as he goes out? Absolutely not. I mean, so you never bet against the Germans, do you? You know, don't matter who they are, where they are, how bad a shape they're in. You, you, you're never going to bet against them. It's just not something you'd do. I mean, how often are they actually at their best right after they've been written off? And, and you know, they, they are a harmonious team this time. I think their problem in 2018 was that there were a lot of divides in the squad, particularly after the whole, you know, the, everything that happened with Ursula and Gundogan just before that tournament was very... Oh, Khan got 86 caps. Um, yeah, before that <laughs> tournament, you know, was very unsettling for them. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, we're definitely going to see uh, a unit that, that get on with each other at the very least. Um, this time around but it is a if if they were in a different group you'd think all right they'll do what they do they'll start slowly they'll go through the group stage and then maybe you know they might have grown into the tournament but now they've really got to hit the ground running um, and and who knows if they'll be able to uh, to do that I mean what they've got you know what what they lack as a traditional German team what they've got is they've got a lot of potential match winners you know they've got a lot of guys that could just turn the game with a moment of you know of magic of pace of something you know even even Werner off the bench coming on you, you know what he is capable of when it falls for him and the, you know that that's dangerous you know the, the worst thing about this group in many ways because as a pure neutral you just look at that and think yeah maybe a group of death but I quite like to see these big hitters eat each other but the worst bit about it is 29th of June the second round, the winner of England's group plays the runner-up of this group. So you know it, you're Oof. either going to come, you're either coming up. It, it's assuming you. <laughs> Good luck, get, Croatia. That's all I've got to say about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you if if you do get past Croatia in the Czech Republic, your reward for that is going to be probably either Cristiano Ronaldo or a revitalised Germany. And I'm not sure I fancy either of them. <laughs> no, I mean it's one of those ones where you almost tactically want to finish second, isn't it? The downside of that is that rather than playing at Wembley, we'd be going away to Copenhagen. I'd rather be in Copenhagen than London any day, don't tell you that. I mean, it is a lovely city, it really is. All right, let's talk about some of the other other big sides before we just wrap this one up and maybe some predictions at the end. So let's just quickly hear on Spain. Um, Spain are in Group E alongside Sweden, Poland and Slovakia. Interestingly, Poland might be dark horses in this tournament, got a lot of of very good experienced players and obviously Lewandowski in imperious form, 41 goals in the Bundesliga, breaking Gerd Miller's 
long-standing record. Okay, Spain uh, have obviously got a few controversies, uh, most notably no Real Madrid players, including Sergio Ramos, who obviously has bucket loads of caps for Spain um, and has been a, a prominent leader for a long time. It's kind of their version of Gaza in, in 98, uh, in a way. I wonder if Sergio Ramos was smashing up his hotel room after he heard that. Nevertheless, multi-talented team. Again, you'd say the weakness is they don't have a centre-forward at all, really. So they've got, they can pick from a lot of wingers. So Gerard Moreno, Ferran Torres, Adama Traore, Oyazabal, who had a fantastic season at Real Sociedad. But their only nine is Morata, who isn't first choice at Atleti. So it's it's a bit of a, um, yeah, it's a bit of a sort of midfield heavy setup. Um, I guess as a bit as has been traditional for Spain recently, but the days of them having a Torres or a Villa quite a long way behind them. And also the days where they were a very midfield heavy setup, but that midfield had some of the best players in the world and the false nine at the front was Fabregas who could do it brilliantly. Those days are behind as well. I'm not entirely sure I look at this as much as I love the uh, mission of all Madrid players. I thought that was wonderful, but Beyond that, you sort of look, I'm not sure what the best 11 is here. I don't know where they're going. I think they're going to have enough to get out of this group. I mean, by some distance. But beyond that, in terms of going deep, I wonder where it's going to come together. I suppose that's often the case with with tournaments is that the side comes together or it doesn't. And you don't necessarily know how it's going to until they start playing. But at a distance, I think this could be... A little bit interesting for Spain, and not in a way that they'd want it to be. Yeah, I. Yeah, it's not you know it's not ten years ago anymore, is it? Uh, for Spain, for definite, you know when uh, you, you look at the guys that, that that were there on on the edge, and you'd wonder, you know, could could this guy even get a game in that team? It, it, it's a long way from that. As Pete said, they should still be more than strong enough to get through the group. But I guess they, they they've got a lot of youngsters out there who've got the strength, who've got the potential now to go up and you know make a name for themselves and take that spot and become the future of, of Spanish football. You know, become the next uh, Iniesta and Xavi and you know Villa and Torres or whoever you know Fabregas. From what I've seen, um, Rodri from City has become their key man. Um, So he's very much been their form player. So he's going to be kind of holding down the midfield, probably alongside Marcos Llorente, again, from from Atleti. And then, you know, one other. Thiago's not had a good season at Liverpool particularly. Um, So it might end up being Koke. It's a talented team, but I, I wonder if they lack a cutting edge, although Ferran Torres plays more centrally for Spain, from what I understand. They do have one of the best odds of reaching the the quarterfinal, but I suppose that has more to do with the group that they're coming through and you know who they'll potentially play in the, the second round than necessarily any greatness in the side or, or the odds that they were going to win it I, I imagine is is quite low I do fancy Poland though I think you're right to flag that that, that there are a lot of good players there and there's a smattering of talent throughout that team so I think they pr- might even give Spain a bit of a game and Sweden as well I know Marks Ibrahimovic has come back on board at his grand old age 
and in addition to that, they got Isak, who's had a, a very good season for, again for Sociedad. Um, I thought they. Sorry, I th- am I I thought they'd left Ibrahimovic out. Let me just double check that because I thought he was in, but I could be wrong. I mean, either my notes about Iran because I've got it down as they're a you're very solid side, but they'll be looking to Kulishevsky to provide a bit of inspiration. But obviously that changes dramatically if if Ibra is in because you know, well it just you liven things up if nothing else. So I mean, yeah, I mean you're right to talk about Kulishevsky who's been really really good. Oh no, yeah, you're right. He's been he's got an injury playing for Milan. I didn't realise that. Um, yeah, so Kulishevsky's been brilliant for Juve, and you know he's a a, a very direct, tall, elegant uh, footballer and um, very much worth watching. But yeah, I think Sweden have got a, you know good, a, a quite a few good technical players. I, th- I think I think they'll be as as usual worth watching. Oh, There's never a walkover, are they, Sweden? No. Never. No, never. Just before we do move on from them, how many minutes of football do you think Seb Larsson's going to get at 36? Yeah. I mean, they do. I mean, the thing is, is that uh, football these days, you know, 36 feels quite young. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it, doesn't, it sort of doesn't feel like it's too much of a barrier. But yeah, they're, they're going to be very difficult to beat, you would think, as, as usual. But also they've got a bit of uh, a bit of flair at the top end. Um, let's look at Italy. Now, a bit of a theme developing here. Italy, again, lots of multi-talented attackers. You know, you've got, you've got your kind of, your Bernadeschis and your, uh, and your Chiesas and your Insignes, uh, you know, lots of, of very good little, uh, uh, technical footballers. And, you know, it looks like, you know, finally... Um, Immobile has started scoring goals at international level, so they might have solved their striker problem as well. So it'll probably either him or Bellotti that plays up front. They got a good young side developing there. It's just a question of whether Mancini will do anything weird. I think if he can resist his temptation, which he's always had, to tinker around and do mad stuff, I actually think Italy are in with a pretty good chance in this tournament. Yeah, I, I sort of think they're always going to be in the in the conversation, aren't they? There's a couple of players that I'm particularly interested in seeing. Uh, I watched a fair bit of Serie A and the French League this season, and between the two, uh, Insigne, who you just mentioned, I watched a lot of him. Was very impressed uh, watching him at, uh, captain of of Napoli, and then Verratti at PSG. Whenever I saw PSG and they were doing anything good, that if it wasn't Mbappe. It was usually Verratti and seeing how the, I mean, they're not going to play together in the, you know, sense that because they'll be in different positions. But if they can come into this side and click and that evergreen defense with, you know, I mean, how Chiellini is still kind of going, I've, I've got no idea. But, you know, if, if it does come together, there will be a tough challenge for anybody, I think. And Mancini is perhaps a little bit of underappreciated as a as a coach now because things didn't always go quite the way that he would have wanted at Man City and he you know the managers that they've had subsequently have probably done better than he did but he's still good enough to take this Italy team quite deep I think and then it you know how it is when you get into the latter stages you know with Italy they just if they can keep it tight enough and get nick that goal and if Immobile is scoring yeah it, yeah you, you look I mean, at them and you, you think, you know, again, 
you'd think the group should be a comfortable experience for them on paper at least and they've got the players they're still very Italian aren't they you know that squad but it's a different type of Italy team in that it's more free-flowing I would say more technical than certainly than Conte's team was last time around you know they do have good defenders as Italian teams tend to but this is uh, a proper you know footballing team and and quite good to watch like whenever I've turned on an Italy game since Mancini's took over it's been good to watch so um yeah I, I'm looking forward to seeing them the other thing to say about that group as well as the fact it's got Wales in is that Turkey have got themselves a bit of a golden generation and they are one of the form teams in Europe at the moment and they've got a, a few good players uh, in League One in particular, actually, that uh, are, are going to be well worth the watch. Is it Yatsizi? I think you pronounce it. Has, has been a yeah. has, has been absolutely fantastic um, in League One last season. I have not seen a huge amount of Turkey play, I'll be honest. But from what I've read and all the stats I've looked at, it looks like they're going to be very, very difficult to score on. So it then becomes a case of what they can do at the other end. Well, they've got you know they've got attacking players in form. Mm, you know they've yeah. got a number ten in in Chalonoli. Uh mm. so yeah I think yeah. I th- they again good dark horse candidate I would mm. say um I mean they are expected to get through the groups and then as you know it's a once you get to the knockouts it's anybody's game isn't it absolutely so Belgium uh let's complete our, our run through the big team so Belgium obviously oh the golden generation like fortunately for them they seem to have a lot of players coming through behind the golden generation so it may not be last chance saloon for them but with the talent that they have they've really got to make good on it at some point because what a waste otherwise De Bruyne getting his face smashed in in the Champions League final probably not the most ideal thing to happen for them I'm not quite sure about um, Roberto Martinez as a uh, as a as a coach particularly but yeah, with the talent they've got, particularly in attacking areas, the defence has got a bit old, hasn't it? I mean, having watched Old Devereux struggle last season, um, it's it's uh, maybe doesn't bode all that well for them. But brilliant technical players all across the midfield. Um, Lukaku has got a ridiculous goal scoring record at international level. So yeah, th- I mean they've got Denmark, Finland, and Russia. You'd, you'd think that they would. Uh, wander through that with great ease really well Denmark are a good side I mean I'm going to ring an alarm bell here and this goes back to what I was saying earlier on with the the Portugal Germany game taking place in Munich Denmark and Russia will play all of their games in Denmark and Russia I think Denmark play all three games in Copenhagen and Russia play except when they play Denmark they will be playing in Russia so I mean it's not enough to really overhaul everything and make you kind of go into a to a spiral but I mean, as you say, Denmark are a good team and I expect them to get through this group. So that immediately tightens things up. It's it's not like there's, you know, all schlubs that they have to get past. So if you're looking at getting through and yes, they should beat Russia. I know they should. You know, the Russia are just defensively suspect, but you go into Russia to play them. That immediately just puts that nagging doubt in the back of your head. And I, they should be good enough. They should be absolutely fine. But there is that worry there that that this could be the last chance for the the golden generation, and the tournament format will just ab- could end up scuppering it for them. I mean, there's two ways to look at this, isn't there? You know, they're not a deep squad, and I, and I think that that's that's where you worry. 
Lukaku's had a great year. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, they've also got two Crystal Palace strikers in there. In Mertens, in Hazard, in Lukaku, in De Bruyne, they've got some absolutely world-class players on their day. You know, we know Hazard's not had the best time of it since he uh, since since he left Chelsea. But, you know, I, I think to rule him out would be crazy because we know the talent he's had. You know, on the flip side, you, you look at someone like Carrasco, who's career's come back round again after it looked like he fizzled out you know as a youngster not not looking to fulfill that promise again he on you know in total opposite to hazard is going to be riding high having just won won the title with um with atletico so you know they've got some very very good players but you, you do wonder if the big players are struggling what have they got coming in behind that uh to save them and yeah I, I don't know I, I I think I think their big chance to to really do something was probably three years ago this generation I think it might have just passed them by unless Lukaku can can carry on that form and uh, and, and drag them drag them to some glory here I guess it is worth adding if they do get through as group winners they will play one of the third place teams so that maybe will make the path for the quarterfinals a little easier but yeah I mean there's always the chance that they don't end up winning that group and Denmark do and then I mean who would they have after that if they were the runners-up in group B the runners-up in group A which could mean that Turkey based on what we were just saying so big game that I mean you know it's worth saying that uh, Torgan Hazard has really kicked on since Russia um, so even if his uh, his elder brother maybe isn't in the imperious form that he once showed at Chelsea. Uh, you know, Torgan has actually really, has really kicked on. They're going to be able to keep the ball, aren't they? Because, you know, Tielemans, Dennis Pratt, De Bruyne, those sorts of players, technical players in midfield, it's going to be hard to get the ball off them. And that's what England found in both the third place playoff and in the group stages um, in, in Russia was just Belgium just technically was streaked ahead of them. Um, and knew exactly how to uh, how to attack them. Um, it's also worth saying that you know they've got one of the best goalkeepers in the tournament. They've got Courtois, obviously. Obviously, if Courtois gets injured, then ooh, Simon Mignolet time. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> you know, not so good. Um, they should be fine though, really. I mean, even with my raising the alarm bell about what the home advantage could do for the Russians, I mean, I they should did, be fine, right? They really did, should. Didn't do much in 2018 for them, did it? So. No, uh, no. I, I and and Zhirkov is still playing despite being fifty three now. <laughs> uh, so yeah, shades of Roger Miller. Yeah, I mean you know all everything I've said about them missing their chance. I am talking about winning the whole thing. I, I don't think they will struggle to get out of the group. Spare a thought for Finland. I mean they've got a good goalkeeper and you know Timu Pucky will probably try hard, but this it's probably a bit beyond them with Belgium and Denmark in the group. Yeah, you'd think so. Um, unless they get Yari Lippmann out of retirement. OK, so let's let's finish off with Holland and then we'll do some predictions. So obviously been a, a terrible 15 years for Dutch football on the whole. Like obviously the World Cup in uh, 2000 and uh, in, well, they had 10. They got to the final, obviously, then. I mean, that was the most un-Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> Dutch never disgrace themselves by you know, by kicking uh 
trying to kick Spain out of the game. And then, again, had a good run under Louis van Gaal in 2014. But again, was not playing the, you know, the Dutch style of football. And in between all of that happening, they've missed World Cups. They've missed European Championships. And there's been a lot of soul searching going on. Now, it looks like they're kind of starting to get a better group of players, all those lads that have come out of Ajax in recent years. So they're going to be missing Virgil van Dijk, which is a a, a huge, huge miss for them. But they do have a lot of good technical footballers, as you'd expect. Donny van der Beek, Frankie de Jong. You know, they've got good attackers, Memphis Depay, Quincy Promise. Uh, Veghorst has had a brilliant season at Wolfsburg again very good target man so they've got defenders as well you know De Vrij, obviously a title winner at, at Inter Milan Daly Blind brings a lot of experience De Ligt obviously is the, the the sort of the jewel in the crown um, defensively and you know they've got some good underrated players like Martin De Roon, always plays really really well every time you see you see Atalanta play and they got some good box-to-box players, one Eldon, David Klassen, the young lad Gravenberch, who's, who's had a really good season. So, you know, there's there's reason to, reason for optimism for the Dutch. Maybe, maybe not the um, 1974 uh, Holland, but it's it's starting to come together for them a bit more. Yeah, it, it, it's not it's not 74, it's not 94, but you know, maybe 14. You know, <laughs> might might be their time. 24, sorry, should I say, not 14. But yeah, I mean, they've got a lot of very, very good players in there, don't they? Wijnaldum uh, uh, and Frankie de Jong in, in, in midfield. You know, Luke de Jong's had a, a decent season uh, in Spain. Depay's had a great season in France. They've got some good players they got some match winners like you say at the back they've got players of they just it's, as it is always the case with with the dutch they've got some fantastic players who are a joy to watch but you know will they be able to bring it all together on the big stage or will they just go full holland and implode and that's always always the question isn't it with with the netherlands when you go and watch them they're always good value for entertainment on and off the pitch though so you know there's that they're always going to be fun to watch and a tournament's not the same without them so glad they're here i mean i wrote something down as my kind of prompt that is not a million miles away from what you were just saying which is a lot is going to good center halves but a lot is going to depend on memphis Depay and winaldum and which version of these players that we get but then i made the note after that dark horses for the whole thing if they both turn up and i actually think there's really good reason for optimism with with the netherlands not just because i think they're almost nailed on to reach the quarterfinals and then beyond that it's you know it's anybody's game but you know this this i actually think this is the first serious dutch team we've seen in, in quite a while and and they they've got something to prove and not just because it's been five years since they've done anything but there was you know you, we know there's a reason that we're all quietly kind of Dutch fans, the three of us. I think we've established this on some of the things we've been we've been talking about before. You know, it's kind of a second team for a lot of us. And that 2010 final dumps it well with Dutch football. You know, they've got something to to prove on the on the international stage. Yeah, they may have made the final, but we also saw assault on the in their attempt to try and to win the World Cup finally. And you know, this that needs cleansing. And I think the uh, I think the Dutch might be good value for it this year. I'm also really looking forward to the group as a whole. This this and the chaos that I think we might get in Group E with the Spain, Sweden, Slovakia and Poland. This Group C, I think, could be quite interesting because I'm looking forward to seeing 
Zinchenko playing in a very different role for the Ukraine than he has been for Man City. I've read that he's a much more prominent figure for his international side, and I think Malinovsky could be very important there. I'm looking forward to watching North Macedonia, but that's just because you want to see the, these sides do well. And the, the more interesting thing is that Austria finally have put together something of a golden generation of their own. I mean, I've lost track of the number of times we've talked about a, a country's golden generation on this, uh, this this edition. But, you know, they're, they're looking for their first win in decades. And with the quality of players that they've got running throughout the, the Bundesliga in particular, now, and the likes of Sabitzer and, uh, and many others, so you, you could wax lyrical. I think they, uh, they, they well, may well get their first major win in a long time. So Group C could be a lot of fun. I mean, Austria, uh, yeah, Austria are really um, a really good side. Alaba quite often for Austria is played in midfield. You know, I guess it makes sense. Like you get, you know, put your best player, <laughs> put your best player somewhere he can influence the game. But I think he has more dropped back into his Bayern role now that you've had Sabitzer to come through. But yeah, lots of really good players. Comrad Leimer is a really good player at, at RB Leipzig. Gregoric up front is a, a good technical footballer, you know, and they've got, they've got goal scoring defenders like Martin Hinteregger. He's got like a, he's got a ridiculous goal scoring record for, for Frankfurt. So yeah, they're going to be, they're going to be um, a, a fun team to watch actually. Again, they, they play wing backs um, usually. So yeah, quite a, uh, quite an attacking side, um, counter attacking sides. I'd love to see, I mean, I don't know if he'll start, but I I love Mark Arnautovic. I really hope he does play because he's got that kind of, you know, that poor man's Berbatov thing about him. I always loved watching him when he was in the Premier League. So, yeah, that'll be fun. Right. So before we head off some, let's do some snap predictions then. Uh, OK. Top goal scorer. Kane shithousing his way to it again. <laughs> Six penalties. Yeah. Or Bruno Fernandes, if he brings his United uh, VAR form in. I think I've got Portugal going quite far, so I might go for Ronaldo. Yeah, of course, yeah. he's not going to get near a Portugal penalty, is he, with Ronaldo about? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll go... I mean, who's got who's got weak opposition in their group? I mean, not that... based on... Yeah, I mean, there aren't there aren't that many... Lukaku, groups, if you look there? at it that way, Lukaku's got to be... you got to yeah. I mean, I, I will go Lukaku, actually. He's in good form. Um, all right. Let's go with winner of the whole thing. France. Yeah, France. It's hard to overlook them, isn't it? Yeah, oh, it is. It is. It's quite rare, though. Do you know what I mean? Like, to win the World Cup and then the Euros. I know they did it in 98 and 2000, and Spain did it more recently. It's quite rare that it happens. So, on that basis, I'm going to say Belgium. Interesting. I've got to tweak mine slightly because what I've actually got is, uh, the way I mocked it out, is a semi-final of France and Italy. And so whoever wins that will win the whole thing. So I've got to hedge slightly. Yeah, I think Italy are going to do a lot better than people realise, I have to say. All right. uh, First sending off. Oh, God, these days it'll be the first game. Um... (laughs) whoever Italy's main shithouser is at the moment. See, I'm going to say it's going to be Pepe. (laughs) As as Ramos isn't there to get his traditional sending off, I'm going to say Pepe. It feels like a good bet. I'm actually going to say that it's going to be um, in the first game and it's going to be one of these, uh, what are euphemistically called old-fashioned Turkish defenders. 
I think one of them is going to kick an Italian bloke up in the air and he's going to do a triple pirouette and get, yeah, someone will be sent off. All right, let's do let's do one more. Right, how many of the home nations will make it through the group stage? One. Just England, you think? One. Yeah, I think so. I I think Wales will probably come third, but I'm not sure they're going to come. They may end up being the fifth or the sixth of the third place teams. Uh, and I think Scotland will do well to finish third. I mean, for all I said that, yes, they can overturn England if we don't turn up. I still think they're the fourth best team in the group. So they'd have to pull up trees against England and the Czech Republic. You notice that I'm glossing over the idea of them beating Croatia entirely, <laughs> even though I'm thinking they can maybe beat England. But see, I think Scotland can beat the Czech Republic. It's what they do. If they if they can beat the Czech Republic and get a, a draw against either Croatia or England, I think that's that might see them through. But but we'll see. I'll say two. I'd like to see Scotland make it. I have to say. Oh, I'd like to. I just think... um, no, yeah. I, I think it'd be it'd be good for football if they did. I'd because when they were getting in, they were being drawn in like pot D and stuff in qualifying, weren't they? And they were just just horrendous. So I'd like to see them make their way up the coefficients. So they can get some more <laughs> favourable uh, favourable outcomes. Um, right. Well, it's certainly certainly going to be a uh, a very interesting few weeks of football. We are planning to do a few um, roundups following the various rounds of matches so um stay tuned for those um and obviously we hope that you very much enjoy the tournament obviously has wait a year for it so yeah we should all be extra hyped yeah i think uh, it's always. gonna be interesting always gonna be interesting isn't it there's i've already picked up the the groups that i'm i'm interested in and uh you know marking tv times down and yeah should be good fun yeah, I guess the only, uh, the, yeah, the, what remains to be seen is how this this multi-city format kind of affects it. Be mm. interesting to see. Well, we'll uh, we'll catch you after the first round of games, hopefully. Um, and until then, we'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Four at the Back with Joe, Maz, Neil and Pete. And it's usually around this time that we work out exactly what we've said wrong and we've been shaky on the facts again. But if you've enjoyed the show anyway, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or follow us on Twitter at 4ATBpod. Thanks for listening. See you next week.